Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. Andy, it is the end of summer. It is the end of summer. It is the close of our summer of experiments, although let's be honest, we'll probably just keep doing doing them as we want to. Yeah. How do you think it went? Are you, are you glad that we did the, the summer of experiments? I am glad that we did the summer of experiments. Yeah. It's hard to believe it's already over yeah. uh, for all sorts of reasons. But yeah, I thought uh, we did some interesting stuff. I think both of us often have an interest in trying out some new stuff, but we're generally happy you know, with the, the default format of the show. So it was nice mm-hmm. to have an excuse to try a few things without committing to anything, any sort yeah. of significant change of format. Yeah, so now we'll just start like 10 spin-off podcasts, I think, from, <laughs> from this. Well, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna try to get back to somewhat normal schedule. I think we have we have a goal of getting on some new guests, um, having on some guests that we've had in the past, and you know, kind of just doing all the all the normal stuff. You know, like what this podcast has been going like two years, so it's not like we have too many like holidays and traditions and stuff. But we, yeah, we have, we have I, a handful I have of a goal, Chris, there. of having you on the show. And also you as a guest with like diff- two different voices. Uh, okay, so, yeah. So, listeners, when you notice that starts to happen, you know that it's time to close down the podcast. We're done. <laughs> yes, yeah. One of us won't be able to make it; another one will just try to pretend to be. be <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. We were um, we were chatting in the, the Discord today, and someone brought up the um, the Hardcore History podcast, um, which I know. A lot of people listen to this podcast also also like that one. And I just, I'm in awe of that guy and just his ability to talk by himself <laughs> for yes. seemingly hours and hours. Um, it's amazing. Like it's, it's hard enough for, I feel like us to have a conversation <laughs> for 30 minutes, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I had a couple of things that I want to talk about before we get into the topic um, at hand. The first one, I think this might go pretty quickly, but um, so I just finished a book that I really liked that um, a number of people had recommended. It was called Gideon the Ninth. Yes. Um, yes. Which was super good. I know that you enjoyed it. I know yeah, I some it. other people have not liked that book at all, um, which is great. That's actually to me always a sign of a good book when there's kind of a split, <laughs> split yeah, opinion. Absolutely. I really really enjoyed it this was the first book that i got sucked into like and just had to do like cleared my schedule and just read as much as possible probably the first book that's happened to me in like two or three years or so it's just been it's been like a long time since i've gotten into something like that i had a really similar experience i read it i think at the beginning part of this year and Mm -hmm. i've read some good stuff in the last year but this was a book that when I wasn't reading it, I wished I were reading it, you know? Yeah. It's one of those yeah. books where you're like, ah, it's, you know, on my lunch break, maybe I'll just go read this book <laughs> instead of... Yeah, it's a, it's good. I'm trying to figure out, like, why exactly I liked it. And, um, I mean, I think, like, the, the writing is very strong, of course. Um, but it reminded me of a number of different series that I really liked. Like, there was some elements of Harry Potter. There was some elements of, like, the Hunger Games and stuff in there. Um, just some, like... I don't know, just lots of really great stuff. But the thing that I wanted to talk about on this podcast, and we're going to not veer too hard into spoilers, I think, at all. So if you you have not read the book, like, don't worry, we're not going to spoil anything. The descriptions that the author um, author did for a lot of, like, the action sequences in there, and I mentioned this, this to you a little bit earlier today, like, all those descriptions really reminded me of what happens when you play, like, a theater of the mind 
game, like at the table, right? So like when you don't have minis and stuff and you're just trying to describe the action. And I found it really enjoyable to read that. Like often when I'm playing Theater of the Mind, it's me who's GMing um, that style and trying to explain everything. So it was, it was fun to get like a written account of like, how would you describe a very complex action scene that has multiple people doing different things and lots of other environmental stuff happening. Um, so I thought like if you, if you're looking for good inspiration about how to maybe approach that, uh, I would recommend reading this book. That's interesting. Can we poke at that a little bit? Because yeah. I would have said there was no part of Gideon the Knife that I did not enjoy. But mm-hmm. the part I probably enjoyed least was the kind of extended action sequence that made up the, the last part that I think you're talking mm-hmm. about. There's a very yeah. epic combat and it does uh, have a lot of the stuff that makes for a great role-playing encounter. Like you said, the characters are all very memorable. Mm-hmm. Several There's numerous different characters that want different things out of the conflict. So it's not just that um, they're all trying to kill each other. They have different motivations. And there's a lot of cool environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. That said, I struggled to follow what was going on. And mm-hmm. I kind of did that thing where I just sort of skipped a little bit into skim mode. Yeah. Paying enough attention that I knew, you know, I had a gist of what was happening, but I could not have described to you, like, what are the specific things that people did and where did they move and stuff. Did mm-hmm. you have that experience or no? Yes. And I think this is really interesting that you brought that up because one thing that I found when you play Theater of the Mind games is there's a lot of re-explanation of what, of what just happened hmm. or, like, what the current state of the table is. Right. And I think that's a weakness of of it. And the problem is that, like, like actually imagining something in a three-dimensional space is pretty hard. And like some people actually can't do it at all, right? Like it's just, they just flat out, flat out can't do that. That's nothing, you know, against them. It's just, that's how their, their brain works. I'm not very spatially oriented either, right? So it's, it's sort of hard for me to do that too. Although I find it like it's an enjoyable challenge to try to try to sort through that. So when I was reading those action sequences, what, what I found was, I would get into that skim mode and I'd stop myself and slow way down and go back and reread like the last page and try Mm. to figure it out, (laughs) like figure out what was going. And it was very rewarding to do that for me because um, like it is actually, it's, it's pretty well scripted, right? Like everything does make sense when you think about it. Um, And it reminded me a lot of reading Lord of the Rings. And if you read Lord of the Rings, there's just all these descriptions of them going places and stuff and and descriptions of the road and stuff. And it it can be very boring unless you stop and sort of think about like what Tolkien's doing, right? Like he's, he's describing the actual journey that they're taking. But like, if you're not really thinking hard about like what that is, it can get just really dry and you know, you're not really following it that's where like visual medium <laughs> mediums are just much better at, at showcasing some of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I would say like in Gideon the ninth, right? Like, yeah, just taking my time, like and kind of reading it, not skimming. Like it, it was rewarding. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect reader and I did that all the time. Right. <laughs> like there was definitely times where it was just like, okay, like I know they're having a, some sort of battle. Like there's some sort of fight going on. Like I'm just going to kind of see who, <laughs> who rises to the top at the end of it. Well, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Thanks for kind of sharing that insight into the book. When I was reading, I didn't read it because it was adjacent to RPGs, but it felt pretty RPG adjacent to me um, mm-hmm. in that just had a really vibrant cast of characters that felt like the sort of PCs you would wind up if you were wind up with if you were like, all right, everyone, we're going to do sort of a murder mystery in space. Come, you know, make yeah. a weird, you know, make a cool character. 
I feel like you would wind up with the diversity of weirdos that are in Gideon the Ninth. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's tons of good NPC ideas in there too. If you ever, if you ever need one. So here's a question. So you and I both noted that there's a lot of like basically NPCs in the book, but you gotta kind of keep track of them because mm-hmm. you can't skip learning who all the NPCs are, and they yeah. have different allegiances, and it's important like which house they're a member of. And so in this book, there was a very helpful. A list of characters at the beginning and usually usually when i see those in like a fantasy novel it's like a major like ooh, <laughs> like i <laughs> yeah i don't think i oh, like no. this book yeah in this case it actually i committed to using that list of characters and it was very helpful but i yeah. guess do you have you ever run a game where there were so many npcs that it was a legitimate struggle for the table to keep track of them and mm. if so how did you handle it and i'm I'm thinking, I know you ran a game, uh, you played in a game of Eternal Lies, and uh, knowing the GM of that game, you know, I'm guessing there were a lot of different NPCs that kind of mm-hmm. circled in and out of the story. How did you guys handle all that? Yeah, um, so so Matt, who ran the game, he would give us like character portraits whenever anyone, anyone was introduced. Like any anytime there was a named character, they would we'd get a a card that had a picture of sort of like what he thought they looked like and their name. And so he would often pull from like celebrities as well. Hmm. So we could have like, Oh, like this guy looks like, I don't know, like Antonio Banderas or whatever. Like, you know, like, so you know who that is. Yeah. You can kind of put a, a name to the face um, really quickly. It was, I would say like that was a rewarding part of that campaign was trying to keep track of the NPCs. Like, and that was, that was part of the game was figuring out like who was who and like, you know, who was involved in, in various parts of it. You know, if you tried to graph that onto, say, like, a D&D dungeon delve, like, that wouldn't work, right? Because that's, like, you know, it'd be this whole complex system that, like, you know, you don't, don't quite want to interact with. As far as, like, games that I've run, um, whenever I run a game, reminding the PCs of, like, yeah, who the NPCs are is often just of... You have to re- reintroduce them quite a bit, unless the party itself has created the, N- the NPC, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like they befriended the small goblin of or whatever course, yeah. and, you know named it like they're they're just gonna kind of forget it's just just part of it lately related to this lately i've become very interested or i guess like all the characters that i make now have super simple names i think i used to go for more like high fantasy you know three to five syllable yeah. names of like everybody is just like <laughs> super simple <laughs> like yes. it's got to relate back to what they do <laughs> you know in, in some way um like it's hard enough remembering the people I have to interact with every day in real life. Like I don't need, yeah. need the extra burden oh, in my games. Yeah. What about you? Have you ever had that experience where it's just hard to keep track of everybody? I definitely have. It tends to happen in Call of Cthulhu, any sort of extended Call of Cthulhu thing. You'll eventually find yourself with a large number of NPCs. Yeah, I do something similar to what Matt described. I, I keep a picture of the NPC on hand and I brandish mm-hmm. it as a visual aid whenever needed. Some Call of Cthulhu published stuff is good about including a portrait of each mm-hmm. NPC. Um, not all of them do, but when not, yeah, good look for an actor or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Visual aid. That said, I haven't given it much thought beyond that fairly straightforward solution. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say like like going back to Gideon a bit, like. W- the I mean, you mentioned they're all a bunch of like weird weirdos like <laughs> the nice thing about like kind of a fantasy sci-fi setting like that is you can give people you can give them like a very two-dimensional personality that they sort of end up making three-dimensional as you play yep right like you can be like oh you're just the yeah you're the people who are like whatever hyper like super into books right like that's your whole thing like and you name 
name one of the guys like the the book tender or the librarian or something like that it's just like oh like we're gonna go talk to the librarian whose name is librarian who's super into books and like then you can flesh out the character from there like i like that idea it's it seems a little i mean thin i guess when you describe it but i think at the table it can work really well yeah too yeah. yeah, and, you know, if you think about Gideon, it absolutely is the case that while the characters do wind up uh, being pretty interesting and three-dimensional characters, for a lot of the time that you're first getting to know them, they really could be described as, oh, that is the blank person, like the sickly yeah. person, and that is the, that is the like, stuck-up person, and that yeah. is, you know, uh, so each, each some everybody had a, a little bit of an over-the-top personality characteristic that you can mm-hmm. cling to until you actually got to know them well enough to remember them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Shakespeare did it too. So it's not, not <laughs> that's right. Not it's, a big deal, it's all, it's all fair game. So yeah. I had, I know you had something else you wanted to mention uh, mm-hmm. that I thought I would mention something uh, RPG adjacent uh, that I've been listening to lately. And I've been listening to a podcast about uh, modern blockbusters and, and why the way that modern blockbuster films are made is Mm. results in kind of consistently mediocre uh, pieces of art and oh interesting it's an interesting podcast it's by the uh the cracked guy um i forget his name but anyway he's Mm -hmm. he's written a lot of fun stuff over the years but i mention this because among the many topics they discuss they were talking about how so many movies have very big kind of exciting action sequences that have all of the ingredients that you would want in a big action scene. And if you are like creating it as an RPG scenario, they have all the right ingredients in it, you know, a cool location, memorable villains, all sorts of exciting stuff going on. But our, we've all had that experience of watching like an incredibly over the top action scene that uh, lacked any sort of meaningful tension. And (laughs) so they were, they were comparing two moments from different Jurassic Park movies. So do you remember in the first Jurassic Park movie, there's that scene towards the end where the girl is in the kitchen while the velociraptors are stalking mm-hmm. like down the kitchen aisle. Yeah. Andy, I could probably like reenact that entire scene from memory. Yes. <laughs> it's so I, good. It's, it's a wonderful scene uh, as far as your yeah. attention goes. And in that scene, that scene is very scary. It's, you know, one of the more memorable scenes when you think Jurassic Park. You probably remember the Velociraptor, you know, pushing the door handle down and starting to walk into the kitchen, right? Uh, And they were contrasting it with a scene in one of the recent, like, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies, where everything in the scene was cranked up to 11, and you would think that you're in for a really amazing experience. They're, like, rolling around in, like, one of those hamster ball transports yeah. i don't know it's hard i don't know what the yeah. term is. hamster ball is a good name for it. yeah I'm sure they they're being chased cooler, by like, like you know that. whatever mega version of the t-rex is is in this you know the latest movie mm-hmm. you know and it's throwing them around and kicking them and biting them and they're crashing into trees and they're flying through the air and they they follow they go over a waterfall at one point and then at the end of the scene you know the characters you know as they exit this exciting action scene you know they're doing like light-hearted quips and mm-hmm. at no point in that scene, and I have seen that movie and I would agree with this, no point in that scene is there even the remotest hint that anybody could get hurt or that anything is really at stake in the scene. Mm. And yeah. you contrast that with the um, original Jurassic Park one with just, it's a, it's a much narrower scale of action sequence, but it's like 10 times more effective. I think a lot about stakes in role-playing games, especially with games like Blades in the Dark and the Apocalypse World type games that 
make really explicit um, goal out of establishing stakes and making stakes clear to players. You know, so what what are what does what makes certain scenes feel like they have real stakes and hmm. and why don't you get better stakes just by like upping the volume on everything? You know, it's just an interesting <laughs> yeah. question. I, oh, I yeah. just one more bit of babbling. You know, so one yeah. thing that it occurred to me is you know in that first Jurassic World Jurassic Park movie, the one with the really good tent scene, you know they spent a lot of time prepping you for this scene by have by telegraphing and sometimes having characters explicitly say things uh, just to they've established really clearly if one of these things you know comes after you you're in big trouble and they've established that the that they're scary because the characters act scared of these creatures throughout the whole movie. You know, they do the work of setting this up. And, and as you watch the movie, you're like, you're starting to get tense in a sense because you know, inevitably, they're going to have an encounter with one of these things that the movie keeps scaring you about, you know. And yeah. then that scene arrives and you're so prepped, you're so filled with tension and fear already that it feeds right into the, it. Like the scene just doesn't even have to work at that point to generate tension. Cause I've been rambling on about this, but um, it no, just made me, made me yeah. think about how, how to make stakes more meaningful. And maybe by trying to do more deliberate laying the groundwork for encounters before they arrive. So any thoughts on yeah. my long monologue there? I mean, mostly like, I feel like I say this every other episode. Jurassic Park is just such a good movie. But... <laughs> it really is. It holds. Yeah, it holds but I mean, up like, yeah, well too. just mentioning like all the buildup. I mean, like every interaction with the Raptors feeds into that scene so well. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, everything that they've done. You know, they talk about like how they're testing everything. Like you know, yeah. like, you know, that you can see them doing that in there, and that they hunt in packs and stuff. And there's like multiple Raptors in there. Like yeah, it's all just really amazing you know i think that scene too even happens in sort of like their like the safe building yes. that they're in yep. right like yep. i think that's yeah that's the first time that they they break through and stuff but I, I was also just thinking that uh we just watched the new space jam movie hmm. um which is whew, what a movie uh we could probably do a whole podcast just on that <laughs> i know that there's probably three thousand podcasts that have been done just talking about that movie um, but that is a movie in which the stakes are at one point, literally that um, hundreds of thousands of people will get trapped inside of the server verse forever. And that LeBron James will have to play basketball against this, you know, this, <laughs> this like ghost in the machine forever. Right. Like those are the stakes. Like this is terrifying stakes and yeah. you feel no tension whatsoever oh. like at all when, the, when this is laid out. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it is that sort of thing. It's like a blockbuster has like all these component pieces to this thing, like this situation that should be terrifying, but they're playing it off as like this delightful little like basketball game that they're going to play inside of there. It's just like no one's putting forth the actual effort to like elevate the movie at all. Other than Don Cheadle in that movie who just like he carries the whole thing. But like, you know, yeah. it's you, you watch a movie like that and like you come away from it, like not really feeling like you know anything more about humanity at all. Like, whereas that scene in the kitchen with the Raptors, like you, you sense the fear and like, you think about like what you would have done in that, that scenario and stuff. Like there's just, it's very hard to put yourself in the place. I think of a lot of characters inside of these blockbusters yeah, and stuff, you know, in a lot of episodes, you know, it is a common topic to come up in this podcast of, you know, how do you make, Basically, how do you make scenes and encounters more interesting? Or how do you make battles more interesting? And 
we have offered advice, you know, good and bad. And we've had guests come on and, and share some really good insights. But, you know, a lot of our answers to that question tend to be put interesting stuff into it, you know? Yeah. And I I guess now I am just thinking of questioning that advice a little bit and wondering if the real thing you need to do to make your encounters better is to ask yourself, why is this encounter so important that we have to play, you know, why is this, why is this so important and why will it be a disaster, you know, if this encounter goes wrong or, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. what are, what are the stakes going in? And if you can't think of very compelling stakes, if it doesn't really matter whether the PCs win or lose or, or whatever, then maybe it doesn't need to be a scene or maybe you yeah. can just handle it in a more abstract or a different way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough though. Cause like, so a movie has the advantage of, of having some space to tell a story to like set things up. I don't know how exactly you would do that in a role-playing game. Like, like how do you keep on telling stories about like what Raptors could do yep. without showing them? Like, and I'm not saying there's no way to do it, but it is just making me think, think about that. Like, yeah, how would you drop these clues about like this impending threat? Yeah. You know, and like have it show up in places and stuff like that and like lead up to this final confrontation. You know, like how can you do that in a satisfying way? without the party just being like, we'll just go hunt the raptors. Like, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like we're, you're, we're level 15 <laughs> wizards. We're just going to go kill all the raptors. You know, like there's like, you know, modified to fit whatever your scenario is. Right, but right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does make me, yeah, it's a fantastic question. I think you're asking, it's like, well, do you even need to do it? Yeah. Then if it's not, not a compelling, not something where the stakes are felt. There's uh, you know, another challenge RPGs have, especially D and D style ones is, that you know, so much of D and D, a typical D and D game, is specifically fairly low stakes encounters, right? Yeah. Because I mean, I think I think the game explicitly you know suggests throughout multiple editions of this game, you know, you pepper the PCs with low stakes, not a big deal combat. It kind of wears away at their resources or whatever, and then you save the big guns for a mm -hmm. meaningful encounter at the end or something like that. And, you know, in a typical D&D &D fight against goblins or whatever, nobody is really under the illusion in most D&D &D games I've ever played that, you know, everyone's going to die or something or yeah. that, this, that everything's going to fall apart if this if they don't handle this in precisely the right way. And I'm not critiquing that because that's in D&D &D for a purpose. But it also it also seems to fill your games with a lot of stuff that is just by default not really going to have a lot of like energy you know, emotional investment in it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you almost have to design a system and I'm sure this, there's systems like this that exist. And I actually want to, want to look up, look, look into this and see if, see what they are. Like in a lot of action movies that I think we, we would both appreciate, right? Like what happens is the characters sort of gain savvy and knowledge about their situation or courage things like that, even while they might be taking damage and like breaking arms and legs, you know, getting scraped up, those sorts of things. Right. So like their, their physical prowess and maybe even some of their skills are going down as some of those like softer skills are going up mm. at the same time. Like, and so they can, it culminates in them having the courage to do this like bold and brave thing, even though that they're, they're badly hurt. Contrast that again, like with the D and D the idea is more like, no, we're going to just keep on leveling up until we are so powerful that we can walk in. We have all these new skills that we can take on, take on this, um, this new conflict yeah. that we have in front of us. 
yeah, like think about Jurassic Park if when those kids in the kitchen, by the time they'd gotten there, if they had like leveled up and they had like Gatling guns or something. It's like, yeah, yeah. like come on, Raptors, like you and me. <laughs> right? It'd be like a, it'd be a very different kind of it movie be, yes, at that point. But that's sort of like that would be the track that like a role playing game would probably take to get to there. It's yep. like, well, you found the cool gun and like you figured out you got some high jump boots and like, you know, yeah, those sorts of things. But, yeah. Well, anyway, I don't want to derail us too much on that, but I know you had one other thing you wanted to bring up. So, um, yeah, um, so uh, so I can bring it up and I think this will take the rest of our time or we can roll on the table and I can I can save it for another day. What do you want, Andy? Oh, my. I think that you should just uh, bring This is our final. We'll call this our final summer episode. And so okay. we're just going to, you know, we're going to shake our fist at the conventions <laughs> of this podcast format. Yes. And we're yeah. just going to talk about what's on your mind. We okay listeners we did not roll for any topic we are just thinking of topic on this episode <laughs> um i apologize we'll get back to our normal i mean schedule. if you want to roll the dice you know for no yeah. reason if that would make you happy go ahead Gus. <laughs> um it would uh but okay so i um a couple of weeks ago or like a month or two ago i guess at this point um i got together with my family um we did a little like family reunion thing for a weekend which was super fun and while i was there i ended up playing DD with one of my nieces um so we had had some time one of the nights and i brought the essentials kit with me hmm. and i just like put it on a table i was like i'll see see who who gets interested in it so she saw it and she immediately like gravitated towards like oh, D. like i've always wanted to play like DD and got super excited about it i was like okay cool well, we're gonna find some time to do it it was very hard to find the time to do it, but I'm glad that, glad that we did. So we sat down, and so she's never played before. She just heard about it. You know, she's in high school um, stuff, so I'm sure lots of people that she she knows have played it and stuff, and she doesn't have any friends that, that are interested in playing with it, playing it with her right now. Um, so I was like, okay, we'll play. Like, we'll create a character. We'll do, like, a little scenario and stuff. It's, it's going to be great. Um, so we sat down to make a character. And so I, I was trying to do do the right thing. I was like, we're just going to use what's in the box. Like, I'm not going to, you know, pull up pull up some sort of character creator yeah. and stuff. Where you you're know, like, so okay, now go to D&D yeah. Beyond and make an account. And then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which we'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. I can't um, so the Essentials Kit does not come with pre-made characters, um, which is uh, a mistake, I think. Okay. Um, I think That's, that... that is a surprise. And yeah. that's such an obvious mistake. I don't know how that got out, like, the warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. If there are pre-made characters in there, like, I must have removed them at some point. Like, I've had the box for a little bit or, or like, or something. Like, there wasn't one in there that I could find. Um, I was also very tired. But, like, you know, like, so <laughs> for whatever. Anyway, we had a blank character sheet. I handed that to her. And we had the book of, like, the, the standard rules and stuff. And, like, it, it attempts to walk you through how to make a character. I'm going to try to not rant about this too much. I'm going to bring it up as like a topic of a discussion. There's another version of this specific podcast where it is like literally 40 minutes of me sort of just yelling about, <laughs> about D and D. Um, That's our, our spinoff shadow run podcast. Yeah. Uh, where we, we rant about shadow run and occasionally rant about other games like D and D. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world does not need more of those. Yeah. So like we, you know, brand new player, like I played, you know, I've GM'd and stuff and I am trying to walk through this book to help her create a character. And it is just a mess. Like you, your character sheet, like, and I, I think this, this strikes me every time that I create a character, you look at that character sheet and there's just, there's so many blanks and so many things to explain and nothing makes sort of intuitive sense the first time you're looking at it, unless you're going to the book to figure it out. So we spent 
I think probably like an hour and a half, maybe, maybe a little bit less than that. And there was some distractions and stuff from, from kids who needed bedtime stuff, but like just going through that book and trying to like piece together a character and like, you'd, you'd sort of expect that there'd be a top to bottom, like do this and this and this and this like that. And there just really isn't like, you have to flip back and forth and like, and then you get to the end of it. And if you picked a spellcaster, then you're picking spells. And it's like, how do you explain to someone who's never played before? like which spells, yep. <laughs> which spells to use and stuff. Right. And there's some, like, there's some suggestions about like what you should just do. Like if you want to create a wizard, like, you know, do this. We went through it and I think she had a really good time and I had a really good time doing it too. And like, you know, it was fine. She got to roll some dice. She rolled for her, um, her stats, which was super fun. You know, she picked out everything. She came up with a name and like gave a little backstory and stuff. That part was fantastic. But I just had, kept on having this feeling of like, like what a barrier to put yeah. to put up for a first time player to have have this thing and if like if it if any part of that doesn't connect with them that's just going to make them like turn away from the hobby yeah <laughs> in some way um so like that was a little bit disappointing but it was fine right like i could walk her through it i don't know if i had just given her that and her and her friends made characters if that would have gone gone well or not i would like to think so but i don't i don't know but anyway so t- that that was a whole thing. Um, and I think, like, you mentioned D&D Beyond. And I think, like, part of the... I'm not going to call it problem. Part of, the, like, the, the the interesting thing about creating characters now is, like, I think there's this expectation that you have D&D Beyond or you have an online character creator mm-hmm. yep. or you're looking up things online and stuff. So there isn't as much work being put into maybe, like, the that first-run experience of reading through reading the, through the, the, the book. Because it's like, oh, you can just pop online and just, yeah, download a character sheet there that's already filled in for you yeah or go to dnd and beyond and it'll just sort of take care of a lot of this um a lot of the setup stuff yep for you which like i mean i guess that's good good and bad <laughs> yeah if, so i don't know like i have i've got one other thing that i want to say but yeah. I'll, I'll save it so you, you have any thoughts or just that i i fully agree with you this is a problem that i feel like D in particular has never really solved which surprises me because there's super smart people designing these various editions of D&D and there's a lot of cool ideas in not just you know the rules of D&D but you know there's some D&D books that are are well laid out and well thought out but just for whatever reason yeah character creation it's a mess of flipping from chapter to chapter and it's just such an unfortunate thing it's like probably the least amount of fun you're going to have playing with D&D. And it's the yeah. first thing you're going to do with D&D, right? <laughs> yes. Which yeah. is, and uh, I suspect I'm not the only GM that whenever I play with like new people, I make their character for them in advance. Like I, I ask them to tell me a little bit about the kind of character they want to do, but I do not do the like, okay, everybody flip to page 14 and buy your equipment mm-hmm. stuff at yeah. all. Um I would rather that they could participate in the character creation process, but I can't risk a two-hour tedium fest. You know, <laughs> well, uh, we flip around the one copy of the rule book gets passed around the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. That ventured into rant, and I don't... Neither of us likes ranting on the show about stuff because there's yeah. enough people talking about what sucks out there. So let me yeah. say a positive thing. My yeah. personal single favorite thing to come out of the like Apocalypse World and Blades in the Dark um, rule set. I don't know if they invented this, but it's what I it's certainly what I got out mm-hmm. of it. The single best thing, better than any of the mechanics or the game settings, is I love the character playbooks 
And I love that you create your character without referring to the book. Um, you mm -hmm. have your sheet in front of you and it's like circle one of these four, you know, what is your personality? And it, you don't have to think it up. You have to circle one of the four things that's there. And what is yeah. your, what, what nationality are you circle one of these? And, um, and then it's just like, put a check in next to which of these skills you want to start the game with. And they're all right mm -hmm. there. Like it, yeah. it's fast and it's easy and it does not result in less interesting or shallower characters at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that every game needs to do it that way, but that's my favorite thing out of like Band of Blades, of uh, the Blades in the Dark and the Apocalypse mm -hmm. World games. Yeah, and I, I do, I, I wonder if, if that works because at least my experience is a lot of times when you're playing those games, you're playing with people that have played other role-playing games mm -hmm. before. Yep. Like, I wonder if, like, that first-run experience for someone who's never played an RPG would work as well. I yeah. think so, but, yeah, but I, I also have some suspicions that maybe there's a little bit of of shared understanding about what a character sheet is that allows you to sort of jump to that point. Yeah, for sure. Those games have the advantage of not having, a, like, a kind of convoluted, intricate magic system, for example, mm -hmm. with different yeah. rules for different types of casters and stuff like that. I mean... For sure, they benefit because the rules themselves are a lot more lightweight. But um, I haven't played Dungeon World, but I've read it. And like the mm -hmm. first time I read that, like your character sheet, it you don't even you aren't even supposed to come up with like your own name. Uh, yeah. Like you're <laughs> supposed to pick a name for your character if you, you know, from a list of options. And when I first read that, I was like, "You've got to be kidding! What is this? Yeah. What is this garbage?" But I get it now. Like I totally get it. Um, mm -hmm. You can be wrapped and running in like five minutes with that character, maybe even less. It's absolutely true. And like, so I, I contrasting that experience making the, the characters with, you know, with my niece, just going back to something you said, you're absolutely right. Like if a brand new player, like you should just, if you know what's going on, like you should just make the character for them, you know, like kind of make, make some of the decisions and stuff. I was probably a little bit too loose with like, Oh yeah, like let's you you figure it like I'll help you make it right versus me just being like okay like I'm just gonna do it and like we'll you know you'll roll some dice and we'll, we'll tell you what's going on yeah but um anyway so con contrasting that experience with playing Dungeon Call Classics Funnel yeah um at the Roll for Topic Con that John Corey ran I mean was just like night and day right like so he he had just pre generated like a stack of thirty or so of these characters you know and just like we each got three character sheets and name them and go character creation was non-existent like there was no even decision given to us because it was just a random, yeah. <laughs> random draw off the top um top of the deck i would say that i don't think the role playing at the table suffered no really. like no. yeah like because you, you sort of you make it work i guess like what you what you what you can't do is walk in with a four-page backstory yeah on your character that's okay i mean honestly like you know <laughs> that's a whole other discussion but yeah like you, you don't walk in with a four-page backstory you don't have like the the first 50 sessions of play sort of mapped out for this character because they might not last for more than 10 minutes like that but i mean like you can still role play you can still imbue them with something interesting just with a couple bits of information yeah like i like the maximalist approach of like a high fantasy role-playing game too of like yeah like, let's stat out a bunch of stuff and have all these cool stuff like all these cool spells and all this cool equipment and stuff like that's super fun, but also having a pre-gen is super fun, <laughs> like, you know? So it's just like this, 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 this like tension in, 
I don't know. Like, I think it just, this has me thinking a lot about like, how do you introduce someone new to the hobby? Is it a good thing to throw homework at them, homework in a complicated spreadsheet as the first thing? Or is it a good thing to say like, oh, let's just, let, let's throw complicated role playing at you as yeah. the first thing? Well, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on the person too, right? But yeah, I, I mean, one way to think about it is, you know, what is the purpose of that character, of that character creation process? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I haven't given this a lot of thought, so I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. But I mean, the purpose is to take the idea you have and generate rules that embody that idea in a language of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's why I make characters for newbies, because I want them to just worry about the idea, the character they want to role play. And I know the rules well enough to, to translate that into the numbers that they need, you know. I mean, there's certainly fun to kind of a lengthy character creation process sometimes because, I don't know, it's kind of like a a role-playing thing that, you know, like flipping through the book, you you encounter ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of or you, you notice ways that rules could be combined or used together. You know, there's, there's certainly mm-hmm. something to that. But, you know, the average person probably just wants to play like an elf ranger or something. And yeah. it's too bad... It takes so long to get to, okay, and here is your Elf Ranger character sheet. Yes, it is too bad. I mean, like, I think, like, for me, too, in that situation where we had had a limited amount of time. I mean, this is, like, this is the problem. <laughs> this is every RPG session, right? You have, you, like, you you see the time ticking down, and you're like, oh, no, we're not going to have as much time as I wanted to to do, do the fun thing. Yeah. That, like, I, I really wanted to get to. Like, because it's just, like... Cause you got to do the character creation part and stuff. Yeah. So by the time we got to actually like playing, playing the game, it's like, okay, cool. Like we just went over all this stuff that is brand new to you. Now I have to teach you the rules and then we're going to play like a quick session. That session went great. And I think like she had a lot of fun. I had a ton of fun. Yeah. You know, a couple of our family members wandered in and just sort of like listened in. So um, that's which, awesome. Like we should, yeah. we, we should, uh, again, I feel like I've gotten a little negative on this episode. Yeah, like, me too. That but, is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm so glad that despite the very tedious sounding experience you described, it was like a really fun and memorable experience for you. Yeah, yeah. Like it was it was tedious more because I'm critical, right? Like, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's like, it's hard to turn off that part of my brain um, too. And then, goodness, start a podcast about something and you'll start overthinking it. But yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, having people like sort of like wander in and like listen and stuff, which was like that raised my anxiety too a little bit. It's like, you know, like how do you how do you perform D&D when your mom is listening? Right. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So you. Yeah. So like playing it like, and, you know, it was super engaging and like she was making all sorts of fun decisions and stuff that was going into and like we we started to create this like story and stuff that was happening. And it's like, yeah, it's like and that's D&D, right? It's yeah. this magical experience. And like the getting out to share getting to share that with people. For the first time, is just like that's that's such a privilege too, yeah. and like also with family, like that was it, was it was a very cool experience. I'm not mad that I did it. Like I am, I am disappointed. Like I'm frustrated. <laughs> I'm frustrated that like the the character creation process was not this like super cool, super smooth, yeah, super smooth process. And maybe the the real response to this is that I need to spend some time thinking about like how do you teach character creation um, in D and D, yeah. Like that could be one of the options or another option is just like, okay, I just always will have pre-gens on yeah. me. Like it's just going to be like a non-negotiable. Like there are some pre-gens in every, every book and box that I bring with me. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I mean, the answer probably is D and D beyond to start thinking yeah. of D 
D&D Beyond are similar apps as the way that you create a character rather than the old fashioned, like everybody turn to the list of classes mm-hmm. on page 14. And if it happens again, I don't, I don't love it. I don't love D&D Beyond being like a part of the official D&D experience. Nothing against D&D Beyond, but you know, it's got all sorts of paywalls. It introduces a whole like kind of world of commercial, you know, it's a commercial yeah. app, but it does do the thing of, of like, I want an elf wizard, click, just give me an elf wizard. Mm-hmm. Well, giving me the option, oh, but I want to go in and like fine tune its weapon proficiencies, you know, it does, yeah. it lets you do that too. So, you know, I was thinking about how video games often do this, you know, when you play Fallout or whatever, you know, they typically will be like, do you want to use one of these pre-made people? Or are you one of those weirdos that wants to like tinker with all of the <laughs> skill points, you know, yeah. and that's a little harder to do in a role-playing game unless you come to the session with like a stack of pre-generated characters, so. yeah. which you could do. And, you know, a lot of people probably just do that. Yeah. Um, this is all like really good thoughts. Yeah. Thank you for letting me sort of rant about that. I think I, I'm not going to call it a rant. I'm going to call it like I got hot and bothered. About, <laughs> there about, you go. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, uh, did you know, I don't know if John used this uh, in your Dungeon Crawl Classics game, but um, do you know that you can buy a pad of character sheets for that game that have, it's like pre-generated characters and you scratch off the um, yes. stats. Is that what he used? He did not use those. I've seen those. I think that was the first um, DCC thing I ever saw <laughs> okay. in person. Yeah. I was like, you have to be kidding me. That's <laughs> yeah. so cool. It's, it's wonderful, yeah. yes. Yeah, so it's just like, so it, it's the full character sheet, right? And then there's like, there's scratch off yeah. things, like a lotto ticket. Yeah, like, and so is there, do you have like options of what you scratch off? Or is it just like, it's all your stats are just hidden behind these? I think just, I, I don't remember. I think it's just your okay. stats are hidden behind those. And the game, <sighs> so it can fun. get by with it because it's pretty low complexity. Yeah. Pretty low complexity game, but yeah. The, I'm more and more attracted to that style of game where it's just like, you were just given, you're given your decisions um to you and then you have to make make of them what you will yeah i don't know i think maybe that's just like a 2021 fatigue setting or whatever it's like it does feel that way well you know and i know that we need to wrap up here but i was gonna say you know uh one reason games like gurps and like the hero system are less appealing to me i have a i have a lot of kind of appreciation for those systems but Mm -hmm. those if you ever want to see a game where the work of getting from your idea to the mechanical implementation implementation of that idea those are where you will really feel that tension that tension because those are (laughs) games that are like you want to be a you know a swordsman who casts fireball you can do anything but you're going to have to like figure out how to make that happen in exactly the way you want using this 200 page section of the rule book and you know (laughs) when you're when you're 15 in high school that's amazing but when you're not no longer when you're a few decades past that it's kind of like whoo yeah that's like where's yeah. where's D D beyond uh, when you need it so. yeah yeah where's the single click group screen <laughs> yeah. right. okay well we should yeah. wrap up chris um uh well thanks for uh being willing to do one final you know non-standard episode and who am i kidding like any there will be more uh oh, more yes. divergent uh episodes but uh <laughs> course yeah, yeah. Uh, well, i look forward um, i know that we have a couple of people uh on our guest uh you know potential guest uh list i look forward to seeing what we can uh, get rolling this fall so yeah 
Um, so I have uh, one little thing that I wanted to to say at the end. Um, so we got a bunch of stickers printed up recently um, of our, our, I guess, our podcast art, <laughs> which is just a D10. <laughs> but then also our, our little tagline, um, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Yeah. Uh, if you need another sticker in your life, uh, let me know. I've got a bunch of them hanging out and I will happily send you one for free. Oh. Um, so, yeah, just <laughs> let me know. Yeah, let me know your address and, and I'll, I'll ship one out to you um, yeah. if you are listening to this and you want one. So. Um, all right. I think that's about it. Yeah, we will be back next time. Uh, we have a, a guest lined up. I'm really excited. We've known him for a while. We've been trying to get him on for a long time. So uh, hopefully that'll happen. It's going to be good. Um, but yeah. Okay. All right, Andy, thanks so much for indulging me in all of my little rants about all the media stuff that I've been going through. <laughs> yeah. Well, likewise. So. All right. Well, um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Yeah.